0: It's gonna be a great Noel It's an epic calendar house muffins, black man, smurfs And even Garfield's Halloween We're gonna take a trip down memory lane Frosty, Rudolph, and a bunch You've probably never seen It's my and pals that come to entertain
1: Welcome back to the Advent Calendar House, the podcast that spends December glued to the TV, whether I like it or not. Uh, today I like it and I'm all dolled up and ready to catch the next reindeer flight back to 1978 as we join Raggedy Ann and Andy in the Great Santa Claus Caper. I am stuck up to my neck in clear packaging to ensure my own mint condition, Mike Westfall. And joining me, despite the sign posted on his bedpost that reads AWOL, it's Adam Pope and he's here. Welcome back, Adam.
2: Hey, glad to be back. And I also have to provide an important reminder that big brothers also break toys.
1: <laughs> and fresh from riding on the back of a reindeer like she was water skiing through the sky. Please welcome Molly Patton. Hi, Molly. Hello. Thank you both for hopping aboard. Uh, Let's talk about your history with this special and any and every other Raggedy Ann history you might or might not have. And I will start with you, Molly. Go ahead.
3: Well, I have not seen this. I had not seen this when I was a child. I saw it for the first time a few months ago when you brought it up. um, And I was like horrified, but also amused. (laughs) But as a kid, you know, Raggedy Ann was just kind of around. She was just one of the many, many dolls of the early 80s that you might care about. I didn't really care about her that much. She didn't like have a bunch of outfits. So she didn't seem to do much of anything cool. But we had some of the books, not the like originals. From, you know, back in the day. But like the kids, like the Golden Books adaptation. So I knew, oh, some, yeah. knew some stuff about Raggedy Ann.
1: Okay. And then, Adam, you showed me you had a VHS tape ready to go. And that was your childhood Christmas tape?
2: Yeah, absolutely. So uh, I was actually able to do a little research here. Because I, as soon as I could learn to work the VCR, I was right there pushing all the buttons, doing my programming. And apparently I was four years old because... Uh, My tape was recorded off of Nickelodeon on December 6th, 1986, and it was an edition of their, basically, they would just kind of grab random cartoons, and it was called Special Delivery.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah. Special Delivery.
2: And so that, that was what I was a big fan of. And that Christmas, I just push record and let it run. So I have a tape full of stuff, including this one. Although I will mention it starts five minutes in. So there was a lot of this. I didn't know the setup for until watching it for this appearance. So.
1: Oh, well, yeah, you missed quite a bit. Okay. But that yeah. happens. You know, you get these VHS tapes crammed with Christmas that defined the Christmases of my childhood. And you miss a few things until you revisit them as an adult in some other capacity. And it's just, wait a minute. There's this whole scene in a Garfield Christmas special where their grandma's playing the piano and the whole piano moves and shakes (laughs) that I had never seen as a kid. So I definitely feel you there.
2: Well the good news is too, this actually still has the commercials. So I got commercials for Teddy Ruxpin and Masters oh, of the wow. Universe and Alphabet Serial, <laughs> you know. And, oh, oh, very nice. A lot of good stuff on there. And in fact, you know, my whole history with the animated adventures of Ann and Andy actually I also had a tape that was only partially recording one of their movies, which was the Raggedy Ann and Andy: uh, A Musical Adventure. <laughs> and, and there was there was this one segment, which is what I had, which was this character called the Greedy. Yeah. P- who's was just this big, you know, just voluminous, gelatinous, whatever he was, just consuming candy. And he tasted great too, apparently, in the, the ocean in which he lived. And they were, you know, just tasting uh, everything around them. And that one always stuck with me. Just the fluidity of that animation was fantastic. Feed me globs and gushes of your most delicious stuff. But without a sweet
1: heart, I never get enough. That whole movie is bonkers. <laughs> the whole thing. And it tranced me as a kid, like like that camel. I remember thinking, yes. this is nuts as a child, but not being able to look away. It was like a very fluid car crash. Yeah. Uh, I'm pretty sure my parents also still have most of their old tapes. They transferred some to DVD. But I think mine was a copy that ran on, I want to say, the Disney Channel because I don't have commercials. Hmm. Not for this one in particular anyway. But uh, this originally aired on CBS on November 30th, 1978. That was a Thursday, which means the Waltons would not be seen that night. Good night, John boy. A <laughs> uh, Raggedy and nandy and the Great Santa Claus Caper was written, directed and co-produced by Chuck Jones. And I said it before and I'll say it again, I'm sure it's easy to spot Chuck Jones's handiwork.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Oh, yeah. For, definitely from frame one, as soon as you see the wolf character, you're like, OK, yeah, that, that's a Chuck Jones wolf, you know, adjacent to a coyote, perhaps. <laughs> <laughs> okay.
1: We'll get him in just a little bit. But uh, for me, it's the eyes that give it away. Yeah, it is that wolf who is basically a palette swap of Wily e. Coyote. But it's also like the character's eyes for some reason. This hyper intelligent member of the canine family and June 4A sounding sad, all signature Chuck Jones moves (laughs) and they're all here. Uh, But before we get wrapped up in this special, let's take a quick trip back into the history history of Raggedy Raggedy and 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 Andy. Created in 1915 by cartoonist Johnny Gruel, whose birthday happened to be Christmas Eve, uh, he came up with the name Raggedy Ann from two poems by family friend James Whitcomb Riley, The Raggedy Man and Little Orphan Annie. Gruelle's first book of Raggedy Ann stories was published in 1918, followed by a sequel in 1920, introducing her brother, Raggedy Andy. Happy 101st birthday, Raggedy Andy. Uh, These two books are now in the public domain, but the character trademarks are currently split between Hasbro and Simon and Shuster. So, no, you cannot just remake this special. I'm sorry. Oh, no. (laughs) Uh, Raggedy Andy and Andy first appeared on screen in a 1941 Dave Fleischer cartoon, followed by two more shorts during the 40s. And then we got that bonkers Nightmare Fuel movie in 1977. So there was kind of a big gap between then and now. The voice of Raggedy Ann in the movie was D.D. Kahn. Here it is the aforementioned June 4A. I didn't know reindeers could fly. Uh, we last heard from her on this podcast as Mrs. Claus in A Chipmunk Christmas.
2: Has there been a Bullwinkle and Rocky the Flying Squirrel Christmas special?
1: If there has been, I haven't watched it yet, so I'm hoping. Yeah. She's come up a few times on here. uh, Cindy Lou Who and a few other things. The teacher in Frosty the Snowman, so. Uh, And Raggedy Andy is voiced by Dawes Butler. (laughs) And you can tell because he sounds pretty much exactly like Elroy Jetson in this. Yep.
2: (laughs) Would you mind telling us who this is we're going to say Christmas from?
1: I kind of circled around. I'm like, which voice is he doing? It's one of them. <laughs> and then it was his boy, Elroy. Last time we talked about Dawes Butler on the podcast, he was the leader of the Wacky Wall Walkers. That comes a little bit after this. Uh, before we meet them, let's talk about Alexander Graham Wolf as he, as he introduces himself. My name is Wolf.
2: Alexander Graham Wolf. I... I'm an inefficiency expert, licensed to kill inefficiency whenever and wherever I find it.
1: We talked about how he's basically just a pallet swap of Wile e. Coyote right down to his his kind of hoity toity accent, uh, which is a different voice. This is Les Tremaine, who was a World War II era radio le- legend. I mentioned him before. He was in Mr. Magoo's Christmas Carol as the ghost of Christmas present. Uh, and have you guys ever watched the cricket in Times Square? No. I don't think I've seen that one. No. Okay. There are a few of those. That's another Chuck Jones one. It was an adaptation of a book. And then there was a Christmas themed sequel that I want to get to soon A Very Merry Cricket. Uh, Les Tremaine is the voice of the cricket. And it has that same sort of sophisticated voice about him
2: going on here. Very particular pronunciations.
1: Yes.
3: Ugh, yes. <laughs>
1: pronunciations. <laughs> christmas
3: christmas (laughs) oh my gosh yes
1: with the t the the only place i have ever heard anyone pronounce the t in christmas
2: now i have to mention for our family he is best known as Orin in rainbow bright and the star stealer
1: oh really
2: yeah, so it's very interesting because he's also prior to that or the same year, really, but he was in a movie called Star Chaser, The Legend of Oren, which is unrelated in my understanding well, to the Oren in that.
1: <laughs> wow. I guess they saw that credit and was just like, let's yep, all right, we're going to name this. That's a weird connection. It really
2: is. I saw that. I was like, huh? It's like Les Orin Tremaine. Maybe that was <laughs> his middle name. We didn't know. It was in his contract.
1: That's a whole new level of being typecast. Yes. But but also, if you watch the 1970s version of Shazam, he was the mentor character in that that appears in no other Shazam things.
2: Oh, the guy driving the van?
1: Uh, possibly, Yeah. <laughs> The other thing that he reminded me of is oh, Ralph the Wolf, if we're being accurate here. You remember Ralph? He worked with Sam Sheepdog.
2: Hmm. Sam the Sheepdog sounds familiar, but Ralph, I've drawn a blank.
1: There, there were a few Chuck Jones Looney Tunes where you have a wolf and a sheepdog and they kind of clocked into their work and the wolf just went trying to steal sheep and the sheepdog kind of stops them. And that's their day. But the joke of that is they clock in and out of a work day. They have a lunch break and then they sit and they eat lunch together. And then they go back to kind of antagonizing each other, which is a neat little short. Uh, but in this, it that is taken straight from that. Even Alexander Graham Wolf's rocket sounds like the Roadrunner. Did you catch that? Hmm, I did. Yeah, I, did, I didn't pay attention. Make the connection to the sound effect. <laughs>
3: Yeah, there was that, something
1: familiar about it, but I didn't know what it was. <laughs> yeah, it's it's the sound the Roadrunner makes when he's just zooming down the highway. It's like this special's made from 100% recycled material. <laughs> Introduces himself as an inefficiency expert for the Gloopstick Corporation and shows us his business card, which included an address, so you know I had to look up that. <laughs> the address is 6290 Sunset Boulevard in Los Angeles, which is currently home to a tender greens cafe and a blaze pizza.
2: Well, when the gloop stick, you know, bucks run out you know, after this <laughs> yeah. special, I guess you got to diversify.
1: <laughs> Sorry for the spoilers, kids. It's under new management. It's on the corner of Sunset and Vine, uh, currently at the base of a building called the Sunset Vine Tower. But I'm guessing there must have been some sort of offices there at some point in history, but now it's pizza place. Says he's on the way to audit good old Santa Claus, accusing him of running the world's most inefficient and outdated factory, and Mr. Wolf intends to force Santa into a partnership and, quote, put Christmas on a paying basis. So no more free handouts, children. He then briefly introduces us to Gloopstick, which we don't get to see yet. He only describes it as the greatest invention since the wheel. before rocketing off toward the North Pole. And he's overheard by a very concerned reindeer who makes it her mission to warn Santa about this pending coup. And we'll find out later this reindeer's Comet, also voiced by June Foray.
0: Oh, I've got to have help. I can't let him wreck Christmas. But who can I get to help?
1: I like this Comet better than that gym coach we got in Rudolph. What about y'all?
2: I would agree. I mean, she's very uh, confident and very focused on her mission. You know, she's very courageous. And that that's what I got from it. Yeah. Much better than, you know, someone who's going to pick on, <laughs> pick on everybody, essentially. Yeah. yeah. So I, I would agree.
3: Uh, to me, she did not seem like the smartest of creatures um, to, you know, she finds out this evil plan. And instead of like going straight to Santa, who's her boss, and we learn later, they like all share a bedroom no, she goes and finds Raggedy Ann and Andy. I mean, that's smart.
1: Yeah, she uh, she's being
2: considerate. She knows that Santa is a very busy man. They're <laughs> down to the wire. She he cannot be bothered. She's looking for the next opportunity, the next most capable individual.
1: I see. Yeah, yeah. And while she's thinking, we kind of see her run off a cliff in another very Chuck Jonesy animation thing. Just keep galloping in the air. We've seen Wiley Coyote do take several steps off clips. Realize not realizing he has he no longer has solid ground beneath his feet. So that reminded me of that right away. I feel like I've seen Elmer Fudd do that before. This is that, except gravity actually doesn't matter for Comet, as long as she doesn't have to carry anything on her back, which seems to be her plan here, because she tells us she needs to find someone who can help who's very lightweight and won't freeze in high altitudes, and suddenly it dawns on her, oh, of course, how stupid of me, she says. I don't think I'd call you stupid, Comet, for not immediately thinking of Raggedy Ann and Andy. (laughs) Would have taken me a heck of a long longer to come up with, oh, I know, a talking doll my grandparents had. (laughs)
3: We're supposed to see them as heroes, but no, (laughs) not so much. (laughs) Yeah, that's
1: it's it's very weird that she comes up with them like these are our heroes of the special, but.
2: Yeah, again, this was all new to me. This is a first-time experience in finding out how they got to the North Pole, because literally that's where my tape started was when they arrive. So I I did not know the setup at all for Comet having to come get them or that she (laughs) did that at all. And so I'm just like, okay, so this is her decision-making process for who's going to save the day. And yeah, it was was very, very surprising, to, to say the least.
1: There are decades of your life where you just opened this story with, well, here we are at the North Pole.
2: Correct. (laughs) Just take it at face value.
1: There you go. I also wanted to mention, we get a little scientific accuracy here. As you may have learned at some point around this time of year, most male reindeer lose their antlers during the winter, which would suggest that if you see Santa's reindeer with antlers, they're probably female. So I looked into that a bit. Uh, I noticed some researchers kind of leave room for possibility of a mixed gender fleet because they're magic reindeer. But uh, while doing that, I landed on the website for the Alaska Department of Fish and Game, which has a special species profile for Santa's reindeer, which it calls St. Nicholas Magicalis in fake Latin, (laughs) which was cute. Uh, I'm going to put a link to that in the show notes. It says it's not known when or if Santa's reindeer even shed their antlers. Fine, whatever. But there's also a map on this page of their migration, which would be cute if it wasn't wrong. (laughs) Because the map shows Santa's route spiraling west to east down the globe, which is the wrong way if you're trying to keep it nighttime as long as possible. But I digress a little bit. Um, <laughs> it's not a podcast if you don't do that. So Comet stops in front of the house of Raggedy Ann and Andy and peers through the window to find our heroes, both asleep as well as a new character. They have a dog, Raggedy Arthur, who makes his debut in this special.
2: Oh, interesting. And I got to say, uh, Comet's stopping Scoot that she does as she's, she kind of slides up to the window is kind of pushing her hooves in front of herself. Kind of like she's, uh, I don't know. She's just working on her. What's, what's that sport? That winter sport, uh, curling, curling. she's <laughs> curling herself to a stop, but it, it reminded me of Max the dog from the Grinch who stole Christmas. So I was oh, just like, yeah. yeah, there we go. Right there. More Chuck Jones. More Chuck
1: Jones. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. <laughs> Uh, I do not have a voice credit for Raggedy Arthur. Who doesn't talk? It's just barks. My guess it's just Dawes Butler making dog noises. Because there are only those three credits in this whole thing, so.
2: Yeah, there's no Frank Welker involved, so it must be Dawes.
1: Right. Had the day off. but Raggedy <laughs> Ann then wakes up to see a terrifying horned shadow coming from the moonlit window and she screams. <laughs> and- at the window. That's such a great camera pan. Should have used that shot in Krampus, but reversed it. <laughs> <laughs> but the best part about this scene is Andy wakes up and immediately recognizes the figure at the window, not only as one of Santa's reindeer, but knows specifically that it's Comet.
3: I did not catch that, but yes.
1: Oba's the I was like, oh, it's just Comet. It's Santa's number five reindeer. <laughs>
2: He's very on top of these things, Raggedy Andy. He must be a very big Santa fan.
1: Huge fan of all the reindeer. Gladly opens the window and Comet flies in, picks them up, goes, come on, we're going to save Christmas. Let's go and rushes them out of there and apologizes for having to fly slowly at a lower altitude. But Raggedy Ann apparently didn't even know reindeer could fly. Andy's over here. Oh, hey, that's Comet. And Ann's like, wait. You're telling me Santa has flying reindeer?
2: Anne is much more into Easter. She's got it all figured out. (laughs) The eggs, the whole McGilla. But, you know, Andy, he knows Christmas.
1: You cover all of your bases if you have one focus on one holiday and one focus on the other. (laughs) And then we get some interesting back lore about both reindeer and dolls as Comet replies to Raggedy Ann. Well, I didn't know ragdolls could talk. And Andy replies, they can't. Well, not when people are around. Yeah. And then Comet shoots back, reindeer can't fly when people are around. Which sounds like it would be a fun mechanic to use, but those fun facts don't come into play at all later. I was just in case you were wondering why your dolls at home aren't having a conversation with you.
2: And why you aren't seeing flying reindeer every night before (laughs) bed.
1: Yeah, (laughs) Uh, she mentioned it's also why Santa can't come to your house until you're asleep. You hear that? Kids get to bed. <laughs> we then see Comet flying over a labeled map of the world over Canada and a straight shot to the North Pole. So I had to pause and identify where they were flying over. It's British Columbia, so they're flying up on the West Coast. So Raggedy Ann and Andy live somewhere on the West Coast. Mike and his maps. <laughs> I love a good map. We see the sign for the North Pole along with an arrow labeled Santa's Workshop pointing down into a very, very low snowy valley, basically a canyon. I don't think I've ever seen Santa's village depicted in such a deep canyon like this.
2: Well, did you guys notice the musical sting for the North Pole? Da, 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 (laughs) da. And then Santa's workshop is <laughs> like, it's it just so such a huge turnabout there.
1: Yeah. They have kind of a zoom into the sign that reads North pole. Very epic. And then, and down here is Santa's workshop at the bottom of a Canyon.
3: Yeah. This movie couldn't seem to decide on a tone. I mean, it's all like light and happy until like reindeer in the window scaring you. And yeah. like, wait, what? <laughs> I thought when
1: they had that first shadow moment that it was going to be creepy like the whole movie, but we didn't get there. The rest of it's very light and fluffy, but the music really takes a turn a few times here. Um, but what are your thoughts about this setting of Santa's workshop? I kind of like it.
2: Well, it, it really works for me because you figure, you know, not that everybody's flying over the North Pole, but he's got to stay hidden somehow. So if he's deep in a valley, no wonder nobody has discovered the workshop just yet.
3: Yeah, it was reminded a little bit of the setup in the Santa Claus with Tim Allen because that was kind of like had a pole and it was all underground, you know, so very subtle marker. Oh,
1: I like your connection better than the one I like. It reminded me of the Canyon of the Crescent Moon from Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. Oh, my. No, yours makes more sense. Uh, and in this tiny hidden village, Santa's elves are hard at work wrapping packages and unloading toys into large barrels labeled by category. All the elves look like mini Elmer Fuds in Robin Hood hats. And in walks Santa, also voiced by Les Tremain, in a friendlier voice than his wolf.
2: All right, everyone. Well done. Cocoa and nap break. Everyone home for another year.
1: Thank you. Thank you on behalf of all children everywhere. Santa calls for a cocoa and nap break, and I already love his work ethic.
2: And Mike, did you notice another Chuck Jones? You know, Santa seems to be very connected here with Acme products for his, uh, <laughs> for yeah. his raw material for making
1: toys. He's got some kind of partnership with Acme. All of the barrels are labeled. They're Acme bears and Acme dolls. That's all you're getting. That's before we had by and large. <laughs> We always see the elves hard at work. This is the only time I recall seeing Santa tell them time for a nap break. That
2: was a pretty good deal. You got to say, you know, this Santa definitely looking out for the little guy. Literally.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well done. Very happy to see he's embraced the siesta, which he needs, especially since it is now Christmas Eve. Or very close to it, according to his alarm clock, which is just a regular clock, but it has Christmas Eve where the 12 is. He says he's got a long night of work ahead, but it's only once a year and probably worth the cause, too. Probably. Maybe he's just humble. He's like,
2: well, I think people probably appreciate what I'm doing. I sure hope so.
1: I guess these kids are worth it. (laughs) Not a delivery I'm used to, if it is, but whatever. He's making the interesting choice of napping next to the reindeer, as Molly mentioned which must smell wonderful. (laughs) And each of the reindeer sleeps in their own bed. They each have a bed labeled with their name, except Comet's obviously not in hers. Instead, it's a piece of paper that reads AWOL. We know she's on her way back, but it's the wolf in his gloopstick rocket who arrives first and finds Santa and everyone else in the village asleep. So he gets right to work, taking over the workshop under the impression that everyone will wake up delighted and surprised to find every present sealed in his gloopstick, which we finally get a look at as he pushes a button on his rocket and it converts into his giant gloopsticizer machine. And this reminded me of, have you ever seen the animated short of Dr. Seuss's The Sneeches?
2: Yes.
3: I don't think so.
1: So in that You have the star-on and the star-off machines, which get assembled out of a van very similarly as this rocket sled transforms into a gloopstick manufacturing machine. We're still a few years from Transformers, so it's a little trickier than that. But...
2: Yeah, I got to be honest, I could watch this on a loop like this. This is a a gif or a gif that I would just put up, you know, and just stare at for hours because it's just it's so hypnotic. The little parts and pieces that just continue to pop out and activate themselves.
1: It is fascinating to just watch that animation happen. And it does have feet like a transformer. It's even got little sneakers that it's wearing. And next, the wolf pulls some levers on the side of the machine, and that summons a crane, which takes a doll from the big pile of them, then a bear, then a bicycle, then a tree. Does Santa deliver Christmas trees? (laughs) So now
2: I've known some people that had German heritage and German relatives, and they said that they did not put up their Christmas tree until Christmas Eve. And so I wonder if that is somehow a connection to that tradition.
1: My dad's German. His whole family's German. I wonder, like, I feel like we may have done that when I was very little. Or maybe that's just what I'm remembering because that's where the VHS tapes start with us (laughs) trimming the tree. They're not dated. It's 1984, the earliest one I have of us trimming the tree. But as far as I know, well, it's dark outside the window, so maybe it's Christmas Eve and then we cut to Christmas morning. But I don't know. I've never heard of Santa actually bringing the tree, though. It's
2: a good point. It's a good point.
3: I saw it as um, all the toys that he has in his workshop are kind of like pretty basic. Like for the animators, we're like, okay, we can do a bear. We can do a doll. We can do a tree. You don't see anything really like really cool, like train sets or anything. Plus, we need it for the tree gag later. Uh, so we can see him all the wolf all decorated so they had to establish that i think
1: there we go good call how did christmas trees work for y'all growing up did santa add anything to the tree itself for you nope
2: no yeah for me it was just all us it was all the hard work was by our family we're just we're just setting up a nice place for santa to arrive to to drop off the presents
1: The closest thing I remember is sometimes Santa would add tinsel to our tree on Christmas morning.
2: Oh, that's magical.
1: Yeah, sometimes. It depends on how Santa's feeling, I think. You know, by the time he gets to North America, he's on the home stretch. So (laughs) tinsels hit or miss on trees at this point.
2: He's picking it out of his beard. You get a few of the the strands (laughs) that he has left.
1: This is what you get. So finally, we see what Gloopstick is. It encases these toys and presents in these transparent box-shaped containers, sort of like a giant reverse hot glue gun is what I thought of. Everything looks like it's in its own little plastic cube or in the tree's sake of cone. But the wolf's loving it. We see him looking on rather menacingly at this whole process as we cut to commercial.
3: With m and m m and and m and
0: ms mm mm M&M's, M&M's and mm m M ms m m mm m mm mm m mm M M m M M m m mm m m mm mm m mm 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 M&M's M M m and M&M m m m M&M's m m and now back to Raggedy Ann
1: and Andy. Yeah! And we return to find Comet catching up Raggedy Ann and Andy on why she woke them up and dragged them out of their house in the middle of the night of Christmas Eve or the night before Christmas Eve, I guess at this point. And Comet actually identifies Alexander Graham Wolf as the big bad wolf. So there's been quite a few depictions of the big bad wolf in Looney Tunes, but none of them were by Chuck Jones. So aside from Ralph, I think this is his only other notable wolf. So
2: This is him putting his stamp on that iconic character.
1: That's right.
2: Classing him up for the 70s. He's a (laughs) businessman.
1: Well, Common and the Raggedy's arrive at the North Pole, and now Adam's caught up.
2: Yes, this is it right here. This is exactly where my tape started up.
1: Okay. To find a large sign on the workshop with Alexander G. Wolf in big letters and S. Claws in much smaller ones. Appreciate a good sign gag. So at least you have that set up.
2: Yes, but I hadn't seen the gloop stick prior to this, so I didn't know what they were in store for.
1: Okay. Raggedy Ann asks Comet to keep lookout at the top of the canyon while she, Andy, and Arthur, they brought along the dog, of course, go first to check on Santa. He's still napping, and Ann would rather like to keep it that way for now. So they go into the workshop to find the big gloopstick machine. Ann immediately thinks it looks awful, but I don't know about all that. doesn't quite match the aesthetic of the rest of the workshop, I'll admit, but it doesn't look entirely out of place in Santa's workshop. But then the wolf greets them and knows who they are. Well, well, what a delightful surprise if it isn't Raggedy Ann.
3: Mr. Big Bad, what are you doing here?
1: And Raggedy Andy, too. How splendid. Raggedy Ann and Andy don't come off in this special is big hero celebrities, but both the wolf and Comet knew who they are. So I'm wondering, are they like the A team?
2: <laughs> well, it's strange enough also that it seemed like, I mean, do you think where they got picked up from, were they in a nursery? Was that their own room? Did they live in a house with raggedy mom and raggedy dad? Like that was the one part I didn't understand either. Cause yeah, you're saying like, They seem to be world renowned as far as we know here. And uh, what's their living situation? Was that some kid's toy room or something else?
1: It's hard to tell. It does look like a nursery. It looks like a kid's playroom. In the movie, they belonged to a girl and they lived in that playroom. So it it looked kind of similarly to that with just toys sprawled out. Uh, the, The other thing I can remember is the Christmas toy where they have a dedicated playroom and all of their toys just live there. So this is like that.
2: It's not the raggedy mansion. Okay. That we know of.
3: (laughs) I remember from my books growing up, there was a little girl. I think her name was Marcella or something like that. That And she was their human.
1: Okay. Well, we don't even meet Marcella in this, but that sounds right. I think that's the the name that they used for the girl in the movie too. Now that you mention it, it's been a while since I watched the whole thing. Just the clips, just the horrifying clips. (laughs) And we start to see the differences in the two personalities here, because while Raggedy Ann thinks this whole operation looks awful, Andy thinks it looks cool. And so the wolf uses Andy's interest as a segue into explaining the great gloopsticizer by asking, what happens to Christmas toys after Christmas? And Ann ponders the question and admits,
0: why? I guess toys... We're out like here.
1: when your little sister breaks them
0: little brothers break toys too
1: and that seems to be the inspiration for the wolf's machine in case toys in gloopstick and they'll never break so I have to ask the both of you as you're both into retro toys how far do you go in keeping the things you collect in decent shape
2: Molly take it away I have a <gasps> tirade to go on No. <laughs> oh.
3: I used to, but then I had nieces and now they play with all of my old toys and I just kind of have learned to let it go. Um, Yeah, nothing's in real great shape anymore, unfortunately.
1: Yeah, I'm with you there. Uh, When I gave my oldest daughter my old glow worm from that, I got when I was three years old and that doesn't even glow anymore because it's that old and we had to gut it, but it It's in a happier place. All right, Adam, let's hear what you got.
2: Well, so now I will say I have a fair amount of you know carded action figures that hang on my wall. I love the box art. I enjoy all of that. So I, I'm not totally against keeping some action figures in the box, although I have a majority of played with. I love the history of a toy when I'm out hunting for them and things like that. But I also am a comic book reader. Uh, notice I don't say collector. Uh, I, I have a comic book <laughs> podcast that covers the 90s in which the collecting mentality was so crazy that that evolved over the last few decades into people literally encasing their comics in pieces of plastic after they have been graded by you know specific agencies tasked with grading comic books so they will never be read that the delicious paper will never be smelled again in some cases inhaled as it disintegrates while you're reading this 50 year old comic (laughs) and so as soon as that started happening my mind immediately went to they're gloopsticizing comics (laughs) the gloopstick has won and because now it literally is it's everything is action figures it is vhs tapes which i also collect i collect them to watch on vintage vcrs and televisions not to be encased in plastic and sit up on a shelf or in a box like so literally like i cringe so often and it it was all born here in seeing alexander graham wolf do this and it seems that he started the cgc just so that he could keep (laughs) his business running oh it's frustrating
1: Uh, I I think I'm with you on that. Yeah, uh, when when I used to hang on to comic books and magazines and things, I hang on to them to read them and to flip through them again. And I just I learned early on that I'm not the best at keeping toys and things in decent condition. Baseballs. I have an autographed baseball of Hall of Famer Bob Feller, who is long dead now, but uh, That would have been worth something and it would have been like really nice to have displayed. But as I was moving the last time I was moving, it didn't get preserved very well. And the the marker on it smeared. And it's just the only person who could tell it's Bob Feller's autograph at this point is me because I handed him the ball. (laughs) But it's uh, that's my dad is better at collecting baseballs. He's got shelves full of them and he can tell you stories about how he handed the ball to mickey Mantle decide and i got this like smear of a ball in my <laughs> closet
2: i thought you were gonna say that you hit it over a fence in a backyard of you know <laughs> sandlot baseball game and managed to have it chewed up by the beast
1: <laughs> no we didn't have any uh beastly dogs i was Never too shy to hop over a stranger's fence and get anything that I accidentally (laughs) threw over there. So that was never a problem for me. But we also didn't have any terrifying beast dogs. So, But I'm getting better now that the kids are starting to want to keep certain things. This year they're really getting into Lego and we've had to find new places to keep the sets that they want to stay built. Uh, We only have a few so far, but that's what we have room for now. And it's a work in progress, but. I wonder if Mr. Wolf here had some sort of traumatic experience where a beloved toy or something he broke that caused him to get behind this gloopstick stuff.
2: Yeah, we got to fi- see that prequel. Come on, Chuck there Jones Estate. Here it is. It Do is. It.
1: Oh, if only someone had a podcast about prequels and wasn't hmm. ending it. <laughs> no, you had a great one. Enjoy your retirement. But and as a demonstration, he has Raggedy Ann name something she would like. She chooses a beautiful China doll from France, and the gloops decisor her crane picks out one from the pile. And it's just the same doll we saw the first time. They're not going to reanimate that. From the wolf's point of view, it's the perfect gift, unbreakable forever. But to Anne's point, what good is a doll if you can't touch or cuddle it? And it's like in the world's worst shrink wrap. You might have gotten more people behind shrink wrap, but no, Wolf's good with keeping everything in gluey cubes. And next is Andy's turn. Let's see. I want a Howard Pyle book of pirates. Excellent choice. Uh, An electric earth mover, a 40 speed bike. I never even used all 10 speeds of my old 10 speed, but fine. Uh, a regulation soccer ball and his very own Christmas tree. So, yeah, I guess Santa Claus delivers trees to the treeless. Let's get
2: that tradition going. If it isn't already a thing, in, you know, right. we're not aware of it. I think this, it's time. The time has come. Everybody gets a tree on Christmas morning.
1: <laughs> yeah. You want a tree, you got to wait for Christmas morning. <laughs> Uh, But despite already seeing his sister's gloopstick encased china doll, when Andy's wish list comes out in little plastic cubes, now he says, hey, what good are toys if you can't touch or use them? And we get the real rub from the wolf, who holds all worldwide patents for gloopstick. And since all of these toys are now encased in it, he figures every child will have to owe him money. The wolf is out to rob the world's children.
2: So this is what I was trying to understand about his business plan. So his business plan is he pre encases every present that Santa prepares a gloop stick and that he's holding it hostage to where people have to pay him to un size it. Or is he selling the gloop stick based toys as is because they're preserved so he could sell them at a premium?
1: I think it's the latter. I think he's tri- because he's really pushing hard for this. Look, it's an unbreakable toy but it's encased in Gloopstick, which I own, so pay up.
2: Hmm. Okay.
3: And it seems that at first uh, Gloopstick is irreversible, and so it wouldn't be like he was holding him hostage. I think it's the second one, too. But it is weird that, like, at first it sounds like he's saying, I'm going to, like, help the world. I'm going to, you know, save the... I'm going to help children, make them happy. And then here he's like, profit, money. Like, what's your
1: motivation, Wolf? Yeah, he is all over the place. (laughs) That is for sure. He's trying to put an armor around the world. And the last time (laughs) that happened, we got Ultron. (laughs) Uh, And even Raggedy Arthur knows this wolf is the big bad kind. And he comes running and barking at him. And then the wolf has a Raggedy Arthur switch on his gloopstick machine. We've never even met this dog before in the history of Raggedy Ann, from what I can tell. Because it says, introducing Raggedy Arthur in the credits of this cartoon. But the Big Bad Wolf put a switch on his machine labeled Raggedy Arthur. Alexander
2: Crab Wolf does his homework.
1: I guess so, but there's my threshold of believability in this special. Oh, (laughs) Genius talking wolf taking over Santa's workshop? That's fine. Wait, there's a Raggedy Arthur switch on his machine? No, that doesn't make sense.
3: I'm sure after seeing this special, all children everywhere wanted their own, you know, merchandise of Raggedy Arthur. Oh, (laughs) I'm sure.
1: I mean, they, you could find them now. I saw like when just Googling Raggedy Arthur, there is a plush of him, which has eyes, which is weird because this one, you never see the dog's eyes, but whatever. (laughs) <laughs> uh and sure enough the crane picks up arthur and into the gloopstick he goes thankfully his head sticking out so he can breathe don't put your dogs in boxes and wrap them up for christmas people even the big bad wolf knows that uh, and despite andy's threats that he'd better get arthur out of there the wolf invites andy to join him because of course the machine also has a raggedy andy switch Crane grabs Annie and Ann now shouts, let go of him. OK, drops him right in the gloopstick machine and her turns next. Uh, but we see Andy climbing out of the top of the little stick pipe, unharmed, while Ann now hides in a row of Christmas trees. There they are. The wolf follows her into this tiny little forest in the corner of Santa's workshop. It's the garden section. <laughs> Uh, And a now mad Andy jumps down and pulls a Christmas tree switch on the machine, causing the crane to pick up the very tree the wolf happens to stick his head out of looking for Raggedy Ann. So now I'm wondering, how does this crane work? Is it cameras because he just it just happened to pick the one tree in the middle of the whole row of them?
2: I don't know. It operates on your DNA or your heat signature. I mean, again, he, he prepared oh, boy, ahead of time. He definitely did all. He programmed everything in the world into this identifier uh, software that he has. So,
1: and of course, Mr. Alexander Graham Wolf is undone by his own machine and comes out encased in a cone of glue stick. And as a bonus, all nice and decorated like a Christmas tree, complete with ornaments and a star on top of his head. So I'll give him some credit there. He made sure that a machine would decorate a tree before sealing it in its cone prison. And Andy proclaims it's the first big bad Christmas tree, which is the funniest joke he and his sister have ever heard.
3: <laughs> it's the first big bad Christmas tree I've ever seen. <laughs>
1: And this causes the wolf to burst into tears, not because he was caught by a couple of talking ragdolls, but because he's never had any practice being a Christmas tree. And he can't stand the thought of not being a good Christmas tree.
2: (laughs) This is where he becomes yeah, a tragic figure. And once again, it is. I don't understand where he's coming from, because how bad is this big bad wolf? At first, it seems like he thinks he's helping everybody when he introduces himself. And then, like, you know, Molly said, then he wants the money. And then (laughs) now he wants to actually, uh, you know, grab Raggedy Ann and Andy and their dog and everything else. Like, he's got this this master plan. But then all of a sudden here, he just wants to be, if he's going to be relegated to that, he wants to have the skills. And he doesn't have the skills to be a Christmas tree. I mean, wow. Wow,
1: Wolf. He is like already resigned to the fact that, well, I'm caught. I guess I'm a Christmas tree now, but (laughs) I don't have the skill set for it. And I can't even wrap my head around having to go to Christmas tree college to get them. (laughs) Uh, and, And that seems to be the life he's doomed to live, because according to him, Gloopstick is unbreakable. And that suddenly devastates the Raggedies, because remember, Arthur's in this cube of Gloopstick, too. They both give Arthur a big hug to assure him that they love him anyway. And that melts away the Gloopstick in a shower of hearts, which was a nice effect. And we found it: the cure for Gloopstick is the power, of the power of
2: love. Are you queuing Huey Lewis right now?
1: <laughs> I sure am.
2: And Mike, are we, is today back to the future day?
1: It's always back to the future day. <laughs> Happy Back to the Future, Dad. (laughs) Uh, But Mr. Wolf continues crying because nobody loves him, and Raggedy Ann says, they might if you'd be a big good wolf. But he doesn't have the skill set to do that either. He doesn't know how. I hate being bad,
2: but it's the only way I know of to, to make a living.
1: I feel like more villains should use that line in their defense. Might get more people to listen to them. It works here because Raggedy Ann realizes this wolf hasn't had much opportunity to be good. And then she has an idea and asks Andy if he remembers what Peter Pan did when Tinkerbell was, quote, so sick. Uh, By so sick, I believe the correct term is uh, blown up by a bomb.
2: (laughs) Like you said, much sweeter than their their musical adventure. They had to tone it down, tone it yes, down.
1: Yes. Uh, so I, I guess we're going to applaud the wolf back to help. Uh, no, but close. Andy points at the camera and says, Peter Pan asked all the people out there to help Tink get well. He's talking about the Peter Pan musical where he asks the audience to clap their hands and oh no, we've come to the audience participation portion of the show. And I'm wondering, are we about to get some awkward Dora the Explorer pauses while we they wait for us to answer? Not exactly. Anne asks us, do you want your toys encased in Gloopstick? And speaking on our behalf is an unseen choir of what sounds like grown male voices shouting no repeatedly.
0: All together now. One, two, three. No!
2: Yeah, it's very frightening. And as a kid, this was upsetting to me because it does. It sounds like a bunch of rowdy drunk guys. (laughs) Just shouting, no, it's kind of distorted. I was always like,
3: oh, and her face is so intense. It looks like she's mad at, you know, the audience, just like, say it, (laughs) say no. Uh."
1: You're not going to let this ruin your Christmas, right? Right. (laughs) Uh, It works. As we see the gloop stick on every toy, one by one, melt away into a shower of hearts like little flower petals. And Anne's next question is, do you love Christmas the way it always has been? Yeah! And they saved Christmas. We did it. <laughs> now even the wolf is thanking us, despite him still being wrapped up like a Christmas tree. Which gets wrapped, I guess. But he's accepted his fate, I guess, and is relieved the toys are safe from the now, quote, awful gloopstick. That's a very quick 180 now that he's trapped in it. But I guess now that he knows how it feels that, nope, I've made a huge mistake.
2: You know who is conspicuously absent from all these goings on is Comet. And it really makes me wonder how, like, at first I was like, did the wolf, like, pay off Comet to being Raggedy Ann and Andy initially? Because they were going to be, you know, they, he talks about how all there's a girl out there who definitely wants a little Raggedy Ann, you know, and you know, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. So I'm like, maybe, and then Comet's not here in the, fin- you know, then this part either. You would think that, why, why did Comet disappear? doesn't want to be incriminated, waiting to see how it all shakes out, you know?
1: Well, Raggedy Ann did ask Comet to wait at the top of the canyon.
2: Just a very obedient reindeer.
1: I guess so. And she's like, well, we might need you at the top here. I guess we need to, I don't know, wave anybody down who happens to be passing the North Pole because Santa's still asleep. So, yeah, I don't know. That was a weird way to write her out of the second half of this.
2: Yes.
3: Yeah, I think they told her to keep watch, but... Okay. I mean, for what? You know? <laughs>
2: yeah. <laughs> the bad guy's down there. We know where he is.
1: <laughs> uh, but Anne, being a good hearted Raggedy, now asks us, the audience, if we really believe a big bad wolf can be a big good wolf. And sure, I guess so. And there's a series of three quick drunken yeses. <laughs> yeah! 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 That free the wolf from his conical gloop sticky prison. He gives the raggedies a big old hug and thanks them, saying it's the first time he's ever been liked, let alone loved. So the Gloop sticks off everything just in time because, uh oh, that sound means Santa's alarm clock is ringing and it's time for everyone to leave before he wakes up and suspects anything. This special is called the Great Santa Claus Caper, and it is barely a Santa Claus caper.
2: Oh, yes.
1: It's a caper. It's sort of great. It's not a Santa Claus caper.
2: Well, and it's very strange because Santa Claus didn't even really seem to be part of the Wolf's op- Like, he's just like, I'm going to take his operation while he's sleeping. What happens when Santa wakes up? Like, what did he, was he going to encase Santa in gloop stick? Like, how is he going to keep this running himself? That was the part that didn't make sense to me. I was just like, you're thinking for right this moment, you get a one shot deal at it. But then what, what about next year?
1: He seemed to be pretty sure that Santa would be thankful for this and like jump at the chance to be a partnership with him. Or I get no, well, he kind of used the word forced partnership, <laughs> but he was at least going to give Santa his name on the sign as a partner in tiny letters.
2: Perhaps he was mistaking the industriousness of Santa for ruthless business <laughs> tactics. He's
1: like, Yes, we're very simpatico,
2: Santa and I. There
1: you go. Yeah. Try and uh, fake a smooth transition into power, I guess. <laughs> so they're, they're trying to leave, but oh, wait, big giant machine's still here. But thankfully, it's got a handy self destruct button and whoop, closes in on itself. And that's the last we see of the gloopsticizer. And to the music of the Dance of the Hours, which is a choice. You might know that song is the Hippo and Crocodile Dance Number from Fantasia. Well, the Raggedy's and the Wolf climb up out of Santa's secret canyon to find Santa himself is already up and at him, flying overhead with his other reindeer. He calls out Comet and pauses... Wait, Comet? Where's Comet? Run,
2: Comet! Comet! Comet!
1: And I forgot Comet was in this for a bit. To your point, we kind of see her shadow galloping into her place. And oh, there you are. Because I guess at the very last minute they realized, oh, we got to resolve Comet. Santa should learn by now not to try flying without his full fleet. It has not worked out in his favor to be short one or two or seven reindeer, at least not in the specials I've seen.
2: I think he just, you know, he's got a schedule to keep. He had to dock Comet a couple carrots. You know, You know, you're, everybody else is getting them. You are not getting those carrot sticks this year. Sorry, Comet.
1: Yeah. Well, Alexander Graham Wolf trusts he'll like goodness more than he likes badness. I don't know anyone can say that for sure unless he's tried both. But we get a Merry Christmas everyone from Raggedy Ann and that's it, friends.
2: Merry Christmas, everyone.
1: That was a short one. It did move along. It was also, like I said, barely a Santa Claus caper, and I'd hesitate to <laughs> call it a great one. But it's definitely a memorable one after more than 40 years, and I enjoyed coming back to it again.
2: Agreed. I mean, like I say, this has been a part of my Christmases uh, for pretty much all of my life and so every time i see it it fills me with just you know the warm fuzzies and that that hot cocoa feeling right it's perfect for the holiday season and yeah like you say it just it comes and it goes and it's whimsical and it's sweet and and a little bit crazy when you stop to think about it but (laughs) if you just let it wash over you it's sure to bring the, the holiday cheer
1: yeah uh any other final thoughts on this
3: well, I thought that if if I had seen it when I was about, you know, four or five, this would have probably been one of my favorite specials because I think that's the audience it sort of was aimed for. And yeah. it was right up my alley, you know, dolls and toys and Santa and that machine that transformed and everything. Um, but like I said, I, you know, I watched this for the first time a few months ago and I was like, what on earth? <laughs> this is so weird. But I also haven't seen that other musical yet. So I think... Now I need to go watch that other Raggedy Ann and.
1: Oh, strap in for
3: that one. Then I'll get some perspective. from <laughs> <laughs> It was cute.
1: Yeah, I thought so, too. And if the rest of you want to watch this, you can find it if you search for it. As far as official home media goes, there's only been a VHS release. Uh, but that's out there. Definitely not lost media by any means. Thanks to people with capture cards. I am eternally grateful to the hard work of strangers. Uh, and thank you both for talking to me about this. This was a lot of fun.
2: Oh, it definitely was. Thank you for the invite. Like I said, I've been in preparation for 30 odd years. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, it was fun. Uh, and if people want to invite you to take a cocoa and nap break, where can they find you on the internet, Molly?
3: Well, pretty much all my links to all my different social medias are at mollypatton.com.
2: And Adam. Well, uh, you can find me on Twitter at Hoju Coolander. Good luck spelling it. But if you do, (laughs) you will unlock a lot of nostalgic tweets. I promise. I have quite a collection here in my office and uh, always sharing the new acquisitions. But if you do love podcasts, you can also find me over... On the Retro Network, where I host Wizards, the podcast guide to comics, where we re-examine the 90s comic book boom through the pages of Wizard Magazine. You brought up Krampus, Mike. We actually talked to one of the co-writers of the Krampus film, that horror film that came out a few He used to work at Wizard Magazine.
1: (laughs) That explains a lot. (laughs)
2: yes it's an office joke that went too far and became a movie uh but also i have a show that you mentioned and you've guessed it on mike's sequel quest it is actually wrapping up as of this month so you can go back and check out the archives so many episodes where we figured out prequels sequels and reboots to your favorite movie franchises no new episodes to come but you will certainly be able to enjoy all the fake movie fun we had for six and a half years And that's about it.
1: Much appreciated again to both of you. Uh, And of course, show notes for all of the tangents we went on are at adventcalendar.house and you can follow me on Twitter at FallWestMike. Don't miss our next episode in a couple of days, but until then, for Molly Patton and Adam Pope from my secret Christmas village at the bottom of a snowy canyon no one's ever seen before now, this is Mike Westfall reminding you life's too short to worry about keeping your toys in their packages. And as always, please mind the icy patch. Good night. And now, these messages.
2: Hey there, comic book fan. We've got a few questions for you. Were you obsessed with X-Men as a kid? Did you stand in line to get a copy of The Death of Superman in the Black Poly bag? Did you buy every image comic, no matter how long it took to hit the shelves? Then if we got the show for you. Wizards, the podcast guide to comics is the podcast where Adam and Michael re-examine the 90s comic book boom through the pages of Wizard Magazine and explore the world of gimmick covers, massive crossover events, and find out if those 20 copies of X-Force No. 1 you stashed in your long box really did put your kids through college. And that's not all. We also bring you exclusive interviews with former Wizard staff members who tell behind-the-scenes stories from the guide to comics that defined a generation in our special series the wizard files and wait there's more you'll get mini episodes with 90s comic book reviews and more nostalgic fun wizards the podcast guide to comics is brought to you by the retro network every wednesday so subscribe today on your favorite podcast app and remember to keep your books bagged and boarded.
0: hello this is art from a cozy christmas podcast We're the podcast that explores the coziest stories and memories of Christmas. Join me as I invite you to listen in as I read some of the classic stories of Christmas. Stories like The Gift of the Magi or A Christmas Carol, among many others you may not have heard of before. Sometimes I'll have a guest on and we'll talk about Christmas and the stories that matter to them, like the stories of their favorite Christmas memories and traditions, Sometimes I'm joined by my favorite co-host, my daughter Grace, and we'll talk about and try different Christmas foods, play games, or chat about our favorite Christmas movies and traditions, and also teddy bears. So come on in, make yourself at home, and enjoy all the cozy Christmas stories and more heard here at the Cozy Christmas Podcast. You can find out more at www.cozychristmaspodcast.com.
1: Next time on the Advent Calendar House...